Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's the Full 40 with Chris and Rob, part of the Stay Tuned Network, brought to you by Nova Insider. We are back. It is January 16th, Sunday evening, 8.30 p.m. Most of college basketball is done for the day. The Eagles lost. The Cowboys lost. The NFC East is out of the playoffs. <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> Very quick. <laughs> Um, so, so, so here we are tonight, we're following an absolute evisceration of Butler. What I read on Twitter was the largest margin of victory in, for Villanova in Big East, in their Big East history. So I don't know. I didn't fact check that, but it was a tweet and I am regurgitating it. So therefore I could be just spreading misinformation. It it wouldn't, it wouldn't be surprising. I mean, 40 points against anybody is impressive like if we beat mount st mary's by 40 it's like oh wow that was a, a that was a big win against a nobody 40 points against butler's like ooh, but that, that bus ride or plane ride back to uh uh indiana is going to be a little rough but yikes but before we get into it rob there's some accountability that i have to hold you to oh what is that you said on the um on the last podcast you promised our listeners that you would have woodford reserve on you oh i don't I can go get some. So you lied. You lied. I, I lied. I lied. <laughs> I can go get some. We can pause the podcast and I can get some. No, we, we, I think we can press on without it. We got, a, all right, we, got, all right. we, got, we got a lot to accomplish here. I, for one, am still in the middle of an ice cold, crisp, refreshing Diet Coke. Um, <laughs> so I am continuing my dry January. I thought you were going to say an ice cold, refreshing, dry January. And I was like, it is quite cold right now. So <laughs> yeah, I wasn't no, going to that. It is quite cold. It's not great snowing outside as we speak but snowing outside but nova was on fire versus Butler today i love that like line i love oh that my line. god every announcer ever has always used that line it's cold outside but it's hot in here yeah so, it's very true um so here we are butler we beat 82 to 42 if you just remove Ooh. the first half of villanova today Villanova would have won 43 to 42. <laughs> Not bad. Not too bad. So, so that just tells you everything you need to know about what happened in the Butler game today. It was, we told you, Butler sucks. And yeah. at the Wells Fargo Center, it's not going to go well for them. And that's what happened. <laughs> Unfortunately, so, the Butler way did uh, not have any no. bearing on this game whatsoever. I, I got to be honest with you, I'm fucking over the Butler the Butler whole Butler way. way thing. Like I'm over it. Butler is the team. They, like every game, their strategy is like the strategy that a 14 seed rolls out to play a three seed. That's every time Butler's ever played any opponent ever. It's like 14 seed mentality. That's like the, it's the, very the, true. the approach that they take to every game. And I'm just, Actually, I'm growing tired of Butler. Like early on when they joined the Big East, I was like, oh, Hinkle, that's cool. They had just come off of two national championship appearances. Early on, they made a sweet 16. And I was like, oh, Butler, nice. Like they're, they're really they're really helping us out here in this conference. Now I'm just like, you, you're just annoying. You suck. Like you suck. And then on top of you sucking, you beat us at Hinkle 
a lot. So it's very frustrating to have them in the conference. It's true. I was going to make some comment about maybe they've never been a high seed. So I just had to check it. They were a four seed as recently as 2017, which I didn't realize. But aside from that, they've been a five seed twice and that's it. Like that's the highest they've been. So that mentality is not wrong just because like that's what their history is. Yeah. Like it just doesn't stop. That's the Butler way. Hey, we're the underdog and we're going to fight you as such. So anyway, yeah. I saw it. didn't work. Let's talk a couple things about the game. So first off, first thing first, you had to notice it the second you turned the game on. Finally, I don't know why it took a bajillion years to do this, but we have our own court for the Wells Fargo Center. Yes. Like not the Sixers court with a Villanova logo slapped on it. It was actually a real Villanova basketball court that is very much aligned with what is in the pavilion. And it looked glorious. It looked like we belonged there. (laughs) It's a a nice change for sure. And I think it was the first game. Was it the first tailgate? I think I saw something on Instagram about this too. It was like the first time like Villanova fans were tailgating again, or I don't know what it was. Uh, It's the first time we played there in like two years. I don't think we played there during the pandemic last year. Oh shit. Is that right? Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think we were there. So that's kind of crazy. Yeah. So it looked awesome. It looked cool to have them there. Definitely cool to have fans in this in the stands. That being said, they were quiet for most of the game because we were immediately blowing them out. It was like we the game started and we were blowing them out. Yeah. Um, so a couple of things that I always want to bring up. What I loved about this game was that we got we were able to get deep into the bench pretty early because we got like we, we were blowing them out as, as previously stated. So as a result, a lot of guys got a lot of minutes, even Nana and Joku even got four minutes. Trey Patterson got seven minutes. Um, Trey Patterson had more minutes than Chris Archidiacono. Things have shifted quickly for Chris in a good, <laughs> yeah. in a good way from our perspective, yeah. but yes. Um, and then the only, the only starter who played over 30 minutes was Eric Dixon. So, so Good to see. Antoine gets 19, Longino chips in 17. So you get a balanced opportunity for people to get out there and, and play. You saw Trey Patterson had five points by the end of it. Um, you know, still obviously not getting a ton of points from our bench, but everyone looked good today. It's hard to like take an 82 to 42 win and like say, oh, who looked bad? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's very true. Though I will point out, I know you're going. About this. I know where you're going I know, with this. <laughs> I know. I, I don't want to say it. I hate being right about stuff. But Slater's still a bit MIA on the box score. Two points today. Three points against Xavier. It's very much becoming a narrative. And again, as you pointed out, the scoring is rounding out, and it's becoming pretty clear that we've got Colin, we've got Justin, kind of as we expected. Dixon has seems to really be stepping into this third player role, which I would not in a million years have expected at the start of the season. So point being, everybody else is kind of filling the gaps that we expected Slater to see. Obviously we need him on the defensive end, but I'm just getting to the point where as we head into each of these games, I'm not really ultimately expecting a whole lot from Slater. And this has been against good competition, against bad competition. So it seems to be a bit more consistent than I would have liked to see at this point. But alas, here's where the team has changed over time. This team has evolved, which 
as a casual fan, that's exciting to me. I like seeing the team do different things. It just kind of keeps me on edge a little bit and frankly makes this podcast a little bit more interesting as well. That's that's definitely true. So <laughs> thank God that they're playing differently for the content. Yes, exactly. <laughs> all for the content. I it's appreciate it. all for the content. That. That's right. Um, look, Slater's been banged up. We have known that for at least a couple of weeks now um, that Slater's been banged up. But I, I, I have to tend to agree with you at this point. I'm like... I, I, I've been I've been taking the bullets for Slater for for quite some time on this yeah, podcast with yeah. you, and and I have to say it's time for him to turn it around, um, if he wants the continued defense that I've been running for him. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I still am not like we were right before we jumped on. We were saying like, oh, I understand why he starts. Like I, I don't think I would take him out of the starting lineup. Yeah. Because of defense length, etc. So like, there's a lot of reasons for him to continue to start. There's totally. a lot of reasons to continue to bring Antoine and Caleb off the bench. Yes. Um, so, so all of those reasons still exist and I still wouldn't change the lineup uh, at all uh, from, at least from the starter lineup. Uh, but you do want to see Slater start to contribute more. And I think the issue is his aggressiveness on the offensive end and specifically around shooting the ball. He started the season shooting the ball really hot. Yep. He got not hot um, and seems to have kind of lost his confidence. Now, opponents are stepping out on him. He's trying to make some drives sometimes. A lot of times he can be effective when he pushes the ball, but he's not getting open looks. And I'm not sure, I'm just not sure why that is. I, it's a lot has to do with kind of like his role in the offense, which is kind of, I don't know, fourth, fifth. To, yeah, I was going to say it's Colin. very much, very much fallen down the pecking order. Yeah, it has. Colin obviously is great. Moore's obviously great, and Dixon has emerged yep. as as this go to guy. We kind of have a high low game going on with 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 Dixon down low, uh, and what's happened is kind of just kind of taking points and opportunities and shots away. Uh, so. Yeah, Slater is definitely. I, I hate nitpicking after an eighty-two forty-two win, yeah. but like, but like, Slater is definitely someone who you want to see be able to chip in more. That being said, he didn't take a shot today. He didn't take a field goal. He didn't. He didn't make an wild. attempt. He hit down. He hit his two free throws. So, so that's it. I, it's weird to see that happen. It's weird for a guy to take no shots. So. We have another player to talk about. We'll get to them after the Xavier game, yeah. but let's jump into that. Let's talk Xavier. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we need to belabor the Butler point at all. Yeah. It was just absolutely crushed them. So all right. The game of the week this week was obviously uh, versus Xavier in Cincinnati um, and kind of became another similar to the last game we played against them uh, kind of became a tale of two halves. We looked every bit, like the Big East favorite, runaway Big East favorite, playing this ranked opponent at their place and running them out of their gym in the first half, only to go ice cold down the stretch in the second oh. half. And forgive me if you've heard this before, almost lose as a result of playing terrible down the stretch in the game. Very interesting uh, thing. Look, here's what I'll say. Big difference is obviously that we won the game. <laughs> it's it's yeah. kind of like it's kind of weird to say that, but it is a really big difference because when we were not able to close the door against UCLA and Purdue early in the year, we did not make free throws. We did not 
make clutch buckets. We didn't get stops when we needed to get stops. This time was different. We got the stops that we needed to get. We made free throws. The team went 20 of 21 from the free throw line in the Xavier game. Insane. Insane. That's insane. Can we missed can we, two free throws in the last game, two games. I, this week I was going to say, can we take a moment on the free throws? Because the run that the team has been on, not just the past two games, but I think it's probably like the past four or five yep. where we've missed one or two free throws each game is phenomenal. I do not. We should have run the stats. If we were a better podcast, we would have run the stats. I do not remember a time in my Villanova fandom where we have gone this length of time with that hot of a free throw streak. We just can't miss from the line. So look, even if the threes aren't falling as much as we'd like them to, which we'll get to in a couple minutes, knowing that we have won the inside game, which we should also talk about the fact that we've been working the ball inside way more and we've been able to convert at the line makes you feel a lot more comfortable Certainly, as you get into March, knowing that you have a couple different ways to score beyond just a three-point shot, which we had harped on the team about just, I don't know, a few weeks ago, the fact that we were one-dimensional. And we seem to be building some other dimensions in, which is nice to see. The other thing that's happening is that we're getting to the free throw line a lot more because we're forcing it. But that's, again, part of our three-point discussion that we're going to get to in just a minute. So I'm going to hold off on that point. The, The... the thing is, and I said this, the difference is that we won the game. And it's like, it sounds like hilarious because it's just like, well, yeah, like you're happy because you won. But like, because of the context of giving up big leads late in games previously, that's now became a monkey on the back. In a weird way, I'm almost glad that the game played out like that. Um, and if you actually were on Twitter, Daniel Oshefu was tweeting about it. Alan Ray was tweeting about it, said it was good that the game played out like that because we got the dub but also surrendered a lead. So there was coaching to be had to happen out of the game. Um, and also we won. So like, it was kind of one of those things where like you escape getting away win, a win versus a ranked opponent on the road is, is awesome, right? Like yeah. that's, that goes a long way on the resume and Xavier's resume is good. Uh, so all of that is good. So like my point is get the monkey off the back because we won. I'm kind of happy it played out the way it did. I will be remiss not to point out, though, that in that game, we talked about Butler, how Jay went big and got the whole deep bench in there, etc. In this game, Jay tightened it up. And even in a game in which in which Samuels was hurt and fouled out with like five, six minutes left, even in a game where um, where like Slater and Moore were still dealing with injuries, the bench went to like six and a half guys, seven yeah. guys. Antoine played 14 minutes. Daniels played a lot at 31 minutes because uh, Samuels to. wasn't in. Yeah. But Longino had a very short leash. Um, and that was, and that was, and, and Archie Diacono played for one inbounds pass. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, which is weird because he had to inbound the ball in a very tight situation at the very end of the game. And that was his first time touching the ball in the game. I don't know about that. Yeah. Um, but that all being said, Jay did get tight with that lineup. When we had that 17-point lead, might have been nice to get a little bit more uh, guys in there for the stretch run, but alas. I, yeah, I was thinking the same like when it was happening too. I was like, why, you know, why, why haven't we seen more Longino early on? Like everything was working so well. 
And then you knew as things started to tighten up in the second half, I was just like, there's no way he's going to get on the court at this point, which I will say, you know, it's been great to see general Jay generally expand the bench. As we've talked about, it seems to be pretty clear kind of where this lineup is going to fall out moving forward. I don't think we're going to see much shifting. It's just a matter of at this point, how many minutes can Longino regularly get up to. And while I've been pretty negative in terms of, the other guy's ability to break in and actually carve out a role. I think there is room for Longino to jump this up to regularly 10 minutes or so. Yes. And I think Jay's, you know, trying to make that effort. So while he did tighten it a bit against Xavier, I think going forward, you're going to expect to see Longino inch up. I will say, I think it's going to be a general inching up. Like you're not really going to feel it. I think it's going to be, oh, he's averaging five minutes. Oh, he's averaging six minutes. He's averaging seven minutes. And then we're going to get to March and you're going to be like, oh, he's averaging like nine, 10 minutes a game. Okay, yeah. interesting. All right. I didn't notice that happen. But I think that's ultimately what you're going to see. And that's going to be healthy for this team. And yeah. Arch, yeah, I think he's going to continue to be in that kind of three, four minute range where, hey, we're real short on ball handlers or something. And we just need somebody in there and, and Jay's going to dump him in. And the other thing I'll say is just to be a hundred percent clear, like I don't expect Longino to play when the game's getting tight down the stretch. My point yeah. is not that no, you no. live and die with your, with your guys, with yeah. your starters in the tight parts of those games. Right. Totally. Like, it's not like, Oh, we're surrendering the lead and now put Longino. No, in. No, no. no, no, I don't want that at all. I want, <laughs> I want the starters in plus Daniels when it's when when we're getting down to the stretch i just want those guys to be fresh yes when it comes down to that time well that's said kind of well the, said that's yeah. kind of the point yeah that's a really good distinction for sure yeah um so i wanted to, we're let's just touch on the narrative there does yeah. the bench minute still cla- classify as a narrative or is that the first narrative that has been squelched like are we are we past that as the is that an early season narrative that we've now moved on from? Ooh, it's a good question. It's a good question. I think we're, I think we're about there. Um, so if I look at, you know, the proportion of total minutes that are played by our bench in the game. So you've got what five times 40, you've got 200 game minutes to go around. I think we said the, average across the country was something like 30% or something like that of the minutes ultimately go to the bench. So that would mean you've got, um, 60 minutes that go to the bench, the 60 minutes going to the bench, which I don't think we're at right now. Just looking at, we've got Caleb now it's, we're, we're pretty short. So I think, I think it's still a bit of a narrative. I think, I think we're still a little bit short. I think it's a lighter narrative for sure. As we've switched who's coming off the bench and how much they're playing, we're getting that worked out. Um, but it's still a narrative in my books. We'll, we'll give it another couple of weeks, but I think yeah, we're, I think I, we're moving off, off of it. I think we are moving off of it. I think we're close to closing the book on it. Yeah. I'm going to say something that I think Brian is going to love our producer, Brian. I, I think that the, I think that the narrative fully goes away when even Patterson gets like three minutes a game, three, four Ooh. minutes a game. So it'll never go away then. It might, it might not, it might not, but like, that's, that's the one, that's the one Brian chime in here. Is that, is that what you're looking for? Are you looking for Patterson to play a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I'm probably the biggest Patterson guy out there of Patterson, New Jersey, which is the town named after him where he's from. 
Um, no, it just, he, he's the only player now that I think any, any fans had any expectation to play this year. That That's true. Probably to the point where he's not going to get minutes, but we do have depth now. Antoine Daniels. Yeah. Arch, those guys are getting minutes. So, yeah. but, yeah. but, but there's no, there's no reason he should play over Longino because Longino played quarterback in high school. So he's got that football toughness. I don't, I don't know if you know that. We don't know about Patterson's toughness, but I do. That's hope, true. That's true. We I don't know. A high school football coach, a teacher might come out. Maybe he was a UFC boxer. Remember the old <laughs> Javon Pinkston adage that he was a boxer in Brooklyn. Um, <laughs> oh man. What Brian's talking about, there was an article that came out about Longino being this this quarterback or this like star on the football team etc and what we've learned is that that's that there's it's a questionable source yeah it's what we've learned yeah that's all we'll say about that we're not going to go too much deeper into that but what, what i've heard is that that story might have been embellished a little bit hat tip to Longino. Longino is not the one out there pushing this narrative no, by the way this exactly. is a this is a media narrative that is just playing exactly. out like, like somebody awesome. somebody's like it's a football thing like he's football toughness let's every announcer says it it's clearly in their talking points people run articles about it whatever to his credit <laughs> jordan is not the one doing it but we're out here we're the media we're pushing it too Jordan Longino and his toughness. You can't keep him off the court. <laughs> God, Just comes from all those years playing lots of varsity football. Lots of varsity football. Yeah. All right. He's an all-star. Let's move on. I, I want to talk another, I'm going to put something into the narrative category here. Yeah. But, but it's going to be a, it's going to be a longer, a somewhat discussion about it. Okay. Jermaine Samuels. Mm. Okay. Jermaine poured in uh, quite a bit uh, today. Uh, over over Butler, but I don't really put a lot of stock in that fourteen yeah. and five over Butler. He goose egg. I, I, I put in twelve and six against Butler. So <laughs> what are you going to do? It's like it's not that impressive. He goose egged versus uh, Xavier. Now he was hurt and he did foul out. <laughs> Had a really tough game against Xavier. It was it was it was pretty bad. He had five rebounds. So good 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 on that, I guess. You didn't have a to- you didn't have a total cardio game like oh Danny my God. had the other day. Um, but but that being said, Samuels has kind of been like what what's going on there? There's been like you know, I feel like there's been a lot of games where you've turned around and says like, what's Samuel's doing? And then you turn around, he's got like 10 and six. You, there, and there are also, wait, there are also games where Samuel's turns around and says, what am I doing too? He doesn't know <laughs> either half the time. And I'm trying to understand kind of like, okay, why isn't Jermaine Samuels being like a clear second, third option on this team? Like, where is that? Like, he needs to be that guy. I came into this year. And I said, Jermaine Samuels was the biggest returnee to this team. He's the most important returnee to this team. Obviously, I respected Colin and his contribution. I said Colin was going to be the best player. But I thought Jermaine Samuels was going to be most important because of the position that he plays doesn't offer a lot of depth. I still hold to that to a degree because he does add the boards. He does add the defensive intensity, um, boxing out, does the little things, does the garbage work. But I'm looking for him to be more than a garbage man, okay? He is a super senior. He needs to do more than this. What's going on? Jermaine Samuels is the consummate X factor. You literally never know what you're going to get. I'm pretty sure Jermaine's family doesn't know if he's going to show up to Christmas or not. And he just like pops up and they're like, oh, Jermaine came today. All right, cool. Like just in every facet of his life. We've been saying Jermaine's an X factor for like three years on this podcast. And every year, every year the narrative has been, oh, if Jermaine goes from X factor to like, 
solid regular contributor, this team's ceiling is like Final Four. And it hasn't happened. And it's the same narrative. <laughs> We're the same narrative. But it's not, but it's not he's not going to fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me three times, I'm a fucking idiot. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to fool this I'm time. I'm a fucking idiot. Yeah, I'm a fucking sure. idiot. I'm still buying it. I'm still buying this narrative, Rob. Oh I'm, my I'm God. like, it's, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> no, I have proof. There's I have no proof. Pulled, I've pulled statistics. I have oh my data. God. Okay. I have data. Here we go. I am going to call this out, even yeah. though this feels like Groundhog's Day Yeah, with Jermaine Samuels, because it is. Jermaine Samuels is ready to bust out, okay? And here is my proof. I'm going to lay out the evidence, okay? Right around February, every single year, Jermaine Samuels turns it on. The light bulb goes on, and all of a sudden, Jermaine graduates from that X-factor level, a little bit above that. And he turns it on every single year. Here's, here's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through it. I'm going to go through the data. The I looked through this. I actually did research for this podcast for once. In 2018, it doesn't matter because that was the championship season. So yeah. I'm throwing that year out. 2019, he was straight up bad in January. He had like three goose eggs in a row. Um, and then busted out with 29. You remember this game? We were like, this game, yeah. yeah. 29 versus Marquette versus Marcus Howard's led Marquette. Yes. Um, and scored in double figures in six of the last eight games of that season. And that's 19 with Eric Pascal and Phil Booth. Yeah. So like he was definitely like down the, you know, down the line in terms of expectations yeah. in 2020, he did have actually pretty consistent production given the, even though it was the COVID shortened year, I think there was a lot that kind of got lost and forgotten yeah. in that season. Uh, but he scored in double figures in six of his nine last games um, and had a very good season starting in mid-January. In 2021, was terrible to start terrible. the season. Really terrible bad. to start the season. Um, in He got into gear in mid-January. He put up like 20 against Seton Hall um, in mid-January last season. And then for the final 16 games, he scored in double figures in 13 of them and averaged over 15 a game after Colin went down and was one of the leading scorers and key reasons why that team made the Sweet 16. So he's averaging 10 and 6 right now. But point being is we are now into Jermaine Samuels land. I feel like we need a name for it. We should like, like, I don't know. Jermaine's like, I don't know, Jermaine's transition. We'll have to come up with this for the next podcast. Many of our listeners have talking about Jermaineuary? Jermaineuary. I like that. I like that. But it's not really good because it's really February. It's really February. Oh, man. That's Samuel. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, I think your spot on last year in particular was really interesting because he was, you obviously mentioned, abysmal. He was shooting like, less than 20% from three. And I remember checking the stats at the end of the year being like, oh, I wonder where he ended up. He ended up shooting, I believe it was over 40% from three, which is a obviously a really good clip. So yes, that trajectory totally get on. I, look, I, I hope you're right. I'm definitely not banking on it this year. Um, you know, we'll see how it plays out. If you are right, I mean, awesome. Like we're in, we're in great shape, but I, I just not, I can't count on Jermaine. I've learned not to count on Jermaine. Two more narratives. Two more narratives. The first is refereeing. 
we have to talk about this relative to the Xavier game, but also yeah. versus like the Big East in general. So there's been like a whole thing in college basketball this year whereby people are now mad at the refs for not calling enough fouls. That's been like a thing. Like the fouls are down on the season, like lower than ever before. We are a record low of like fouls being called um, in college in college basketball. And now even like Jay Billis is like, this is bad. Like you can't have it. Like you have to call fouls when there's fouls. Like there needs to be consistency, but all this stuff. Watching the Big East, you wouldn't fucking know that because the Big East has been an absolute ref show across the conference uh, across the conference landscape uh, throughout this entire season. Like it's been, it's been a joke. I, there was like three games in a row and specifically in that Xavier game, I thought, I thought we got straight up hosed by the refs in that game. Like there was like three phantom travel calls called on like Colin throughout the game. And then the worst of them all, the worst of them all, the most egregious call that I've seen this season against Villanova, Caleb Daniels gets the ball. and proceeds to get absolutely run over by Paul Scruggs, who was sitting with four fouls. And Caleb, because he got knocked over by like, you know, a 6'3", like 200 plus pound guy, falls over and gets called for a walk. (laughs) What the fuck was that? That was a a really bad one. I was was sitting on my couch and literally yelled, what the fuck? And my wife was like, excuse me? Yeah. Yeah. It was was so bad. That was just one of them. But like they were like anticipating calls underneath, um, uh, you know, going up for, you know, all that stuff. It was it was it was crazy. Capstone on the narrative is this week. Seton Hall played at Marquette and Seton Hall literally lost because of the referees. Yeah. Calling an absolutely terrible call, which absolutely could have been a foul the other direction flagrant the other direction for an elbow to the face by the Marquette player into the Seton Hall guy, leaned into him and elbowed him in the face as he was going up. All that being said, this has been a constant theme throughout the season. Every game, you look on Twitter, the Big East Twitter sphere, the Big East needs to get control of their referees because it is terrible. Yeah, and we, we haven't talked about this in years past really at all. Like, man, I don't know, there's a game here, there's a game there, but I think we've broadly stayed away from that narrative um, I don't like talking about it all that much because it's, you know, it's one of those things you can't control all that much. And it's, you know, it, it ebbs and flows game to game, but the fact that it keeps coming up is very strange. So it's a fair point. All right. Final narrative point. We have our ca- point counterpoint point counterpoint. Rob and I are going to debate. Yeah. Rob, what's your thesis? All right. My thesis is we are not a good three point shooting team, which um, I would say actually prior to, which concerned me a lot, a lot prior to about the past three games, but as our strategy has shifted a little bit, concerns me a little bit less as we move forward in the season. But that is still my assertion that we in general are not a good three point shooting team. I believe we are currently shooting 35% from the feet, from the three point line across the season, which is fine. Um, the reason I would say we're not a good three point shooting team is that of the, of 10 of our 17 games, we have shot under 35%. That's my point one. I don't know if you want to go like counterpoint. Yeah. yeah, I'll counterpoint this. Yeah. My counterpoint is that we are going to be a good three point shooting team. (laughs) What? (laughs) That's 
ridiculous. <laughs> That's like, I, I don't really want to argue this. So I'm going to argue some theoretical that I do. No, you, you're argue. saying we're not a good three-point shooting team. So in your, in your mind, we're just, that, that's who we are. That's part of our yeah. identity. I'm saying that. You're saying it, it is, doesn't matter. It doesn't I'm really saying matter. it doesn't, it, it does, it does matter. I just think that we aren't there yet. Like we are, we haven't graduated there yet. And I'll bring up another year, 2015, 2016, didn't look like they were a great three-point shooting team. And then all of a sudden they were a very good three-point shooting team by the end of that season. I think that that's where this team is headed. I think we are a good three-point shooting team. They just haven't gone through the net yet. <laughs> and so I think that we're going to regress to mean. That's what I think is going to happen. That's my, that's my thesis. I have a couple of thoughts behind that. I think that A, free throws, which we brought up earlier in the podcast, I think that we make if we're making 90% of our free throws, 90% plus of our free throws, and then on the season, 80% plus of our free throws, that means we can shoot the basketball. And it's just a matter of from distance, they got to go in. So that's one. Yeah. So I will say that's great that you would love to see us turning it around. However, we've been trending downwards in terms of our shooting percentage. In of our last 10 games that we've played, in six of those games, we've shot less than 30%. And we've had some real clunkers from some of our better shooters, including Mr. Colin Gillespie, who just against Xavier shot two for 11 from three-point land. So if we're going to turn it around, that's fine, but we actually have to bottom out and start the upward trajectory before we can even go there. Because right now the evidence isn't pointing in the right direction. All of that being said, Rob, we're 55th in the nation in three-point field goal percentage which is, is that, not is that after today uh yes okay um because we we're like a, so. we we're like a hundred and something before today um and we know that caleb colin and justin can all shoot the ball well we've seen it historically in addition to that antoine and dixon have shown that they can make threes um and then you know slater and samuels if they come on are the guys who are X factors um, in, on that front? But every per, every position can shoot the three ball so, on this team. So fun fact: I think that we will be a good three point shooting team. Fun fact: Colin is shooting above his career average for the season. That is Already, that's a very Already. fun fact. It's not. It's not a fun. It's an unfun fact. It's an unfun mm-hmm. fact. It's not great. So look, I, I guess my takeaway from all this is, I'm glad you're optimistic and. Look, if what we're talking about is basically two, you know, two three-pointers go in a game, three more three-pointers go in a game, it's a very different narrative. It's a very different box score than we're looking at game to game. And I think it definitely changes stuff. Like, but, and, and all it takes is, is one guy to have that, right? Like Justin picks it up, makes literally one more game. Colin makes one more game. And then I think this talk track starts to change. Mm. But we just... I just don't have the evidence of it. Today was, today was great. It was the, very much an exception. I just think we shot over 60% or something like that from three, which is, yeah, great. We yeah. should do that, do that more often. Yeah, I really um, like when that happens. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> um, I do too. But yeah, it's, it's going to take some more. All right. Fair enough. Let's do some awards. Then we got, okay. a, we got a big section coming up. Yeah, we got to go. We got to go. We're, we're running slow. All right. Alpha dog of the week. I want to start there. Justin. So, Justin. Yeah. I think I got to stick with Justin. It sucks because I thought Eric played great against Xavier 15 and 10, another 14 and five versus Butler. Colin had 21 and 17 this week in in his two games, but 
man, Moore was so good. He's on fire. He's just like game to game, just fucking crushing it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. And, and, on, and on top of that, one thing I've noticed of late, you notice that Colin is playing off the ball more. Moore is mm. leading. Moore has graduated into the lead guard role. What I think is one and two during this run that we've been on of late, Moore has been the best defensive player on the team. Like Moore's everywhere. He's absolutely everywhere. Blocking shots. He's absolutely everywhere. He's playing incredible out of his mind defensively. It actually seems like he's more having more fun playing defense than offense, which is crazy because he's also taking like a lion's share of the shots and dribbling the ball a lot. So Moore has become like, just like the absolute, like most critical guy on this team in, in a lot of ways. Obviously Colin is, is the guy it's Colin's team, but like more, Colin is letting more step into that role a lot more. Colin's trying to like hunt for shots a little bit more and kind of hunt for his looks and being aggressive off the bounce, et cetera. Cause he knows he's got Justin there um, all the time. So we need I, more I and more. I agree with, I agree. I think more is the alpha dog of the week. Again, I think that's a back to back for, for, for Justin there. The Shaq fit man play of the week. I'm not sure I can Think of one. The one that comes to mind is Justin's end one at the end of the Xavier game. Mm. Um, as that was, I think, the final, like, that was the final dagger. That was the final, like, last push that we needed to win that game. So I think I'm going to go with that and give a double award to Moore. I think I'll go with, it wasn't all that meaningful, but Caleb had a really nice um, slam at the start in the first half of the game today. So I'm going to go with that one just more of a classic. It was actually similar to the dunk that he had a week or so ago where he was coming in, coming in off the side. Um, just went up nice two hand pretty, pretty much threw it down a little bit of contesting there. So I'll give mine to Caleb just to mix things up a little bit. I'll give the fans. You can argue with us because I feel like I'm forgetting a Dixon play in the Xavier game, but that's, but if, if, if you think we're terribly wrong on this, it's, let us tough. Know. it's tough to get a Dixon Shaq fit man play of the week, just because his hops are really generally not that good. He doesn't elevate all that much. So it's not, it's hard to get excited about. He had the one that we talked about where he came down the lane, had a little momentum. So he was able to get into the air. Generally not his game though. Yeah. And the past the fucking ball award of the week. Uh, I, I did just give the Butler. I think we've strayed away from this. I'm giving mine to Samuels. That Xavier game, like that's terrible. You got to do better. You got to do better. All right, right, fine. I can, I can agree with that. I, you know what, Brian, you can put me on. You can put me down as saying Samuels as well. We talked about it enough before. I think yeah. it's right. I think you're right. I think you're right. You convinced me. Uh, All right, let's go. Let's go. So we're going to do, we're going to launch real quick. If you didn't listen to last week's pod, listen to it because we did a really good Big East breakdown. But I'm just going to give a quick summary as we jump into a national outlook because we are going to focus this, this pod on the national outlook. So quick Big East summary here as to where everything stands. You have your first tier, which is us. And I'm going to go with Providence. I'm going to put them in the first tier with us just because they only have one loss, but they haven't played um, because of their COVID pause. Tier two. These are teams that are going to make the NCAA tournament comfortably. Um, UConn, Seton Hall, and Xavier are all going to comfortably make the NCAAs uh, this season. So you got five teams that are definitely like locks to get in there. Um, and then you have your bubble teams, Creighton, Marquette, and St. John's. St. John's on the very low end of that. Creighton and Marquette much more likely uh, to get in. St. John's has to go on a heater. 
to get into the NCAAs. They, at this point, don't look like an NCAA tournament team at all, but they're also not at the bottom tier of the Big East either. And then tier four is the teams that are not good, but you got to watch out because, you know, if you play them away, it could be a trap game. It's just DePaul and Butler. And they toggled with making Georgetown not applicable. To yeah, this team. put Georgetown <laughs> in the bottom. They stink. Yeah. So They're Georgetown fucking is, terrible. Georgetown's not applicable. So George, Georgetown lost to Butler by like 15 or something. They just lost to St. John's today by a 19. large margin as well. 19, but it didn't do it justice. It was total end-to-end blow. That team is a fucking mess. Yes. Absolute it's mess. Really, it's really, really bad. And Ewing's been on a COVID pause. Yeah. They're getting coached by an assistant. He's probably like, I got COVID. I don't want to deal with this shit. <laughs> They're like, uh, hey, coach, you can come back. Like, nah, still testing positive. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. long, Couldn't be positive long forever. Yeah. <laughs> He's waiting for the next wave. Yeah. Um, I, got, I got the new variant. Got the new yeah. variant. <laughs> so. The Ewing variant. So, so I just, but that is just basically a little teaser for go listen to our last podcast. Nothing has really shifted since the last podcast. Seton Hall lost two games this year, Ugh. this week, yeah. but the at the Paul is a trap game, which I mentioned. And the Marquette game has a massive asterisk on that game. So oh, unfortunately the committee doesn't look at asterisks. Like that's, I understand that's a, that. That's a two loss week. I understand that, but they're still going to make the NCAA tournaments. So I'm yeah, not yeah, worried about I agree. I agree. They still say in the same tier. Yeah. Um, all right. National outlook guys this week, we said the college football uh, championship that's out of the way. College football is behind us. The NBA and NHL are in the midseason doldrums. No one gives a shit about them right now. Right now, it's college hoops and the NFL. And guess what? If you're an Eagles fan listening to this podcast, your team's out. If you're a Jets fan, you're a Giants fan listening to this podcast, your team's out. So we've covered most of the nomination. Is, as a as a Steelers fan, they're still in it, shockingly. And right still, now, right now, they're leading the Kansas City Chiefs. All right. All right. All right. So, but most of the Nova Nation is uh, not no longer having a rooting interest in the uh, in the playoffs at this point yes. in time. So, so with that being said, we can move on and college basketball should be your focus. So we are eight weeks away from a bracket. We're eight weeks, guys. Pretty crazy. Like, like people are thinking to themselves, now it's still early in the season. No, it's not. <laughs> No, it's not. not We're like beyond the half point of this season. There are eight weeks left. We are running towards March Madness. Absolutely steamrolling to March Madness. The season is flying by. Um, at this point, like the algorithms, like Ken Palm and stuff like that, are dumping out all the preseason data that they had built in to try and like regulate, etc. It's all going. It's all going by the wayside. We are now fully into this season. So. With that being said, if you looked at the top 25 and said, what's happened, this has been an absolutely wild week. So the one thing that looked pretty certain going into this week was that Baylor was the best team in college basketball. There were no losses, but they played good opponents, unlike USC, who had no losses coming into this week. And they had, uh, but they played like garbage teams. So you look at it and you say, Baylor looks to be the national championship favorite again. Baylor loses twice at home this week. Once oh, no. to a ranked team, once to a terrible Oklahoma State team. So, so you have that. UCLA, Oregon comes out of nowhere. They were ranked in the top 15 to start the season and lost a bunch of games. They come out of nowhere, 
knock off USC and UCLA this week. Uh, we're three and five respectively. UCLA loses another game at Stanford. The top five is absolutely topsy-turvy at the moment. Where that leaves us is that there's two teams that are vying to be number one tomorrow. At the time you listen to this podcast, you'll probably know <laughs> who the number one team in the country is. But right now there's an argument going on. Should it be Gonzaga, who the computers favor, who, um, who obviously was the higher ranked team coming into the season? Or Auburn, who has one loss to UConn, uh, uh, ironically enough, um, and has looked absolutely the part of one of the best teams in the country. Sorry, did um, you say that again? Hmm. Uh, look, oh, Auburn no. has looked the part of one of the best teams in the country. Yeah. Just following instructions here. <laughs> so my Apple Watch went uh, a little haywire there. But they've been red hot too. So people are split on this about who's going to be number one. All in all, it doesn't really like you might say, Oh, what, what do I care about the AP top 25? Like all it matters is that you're looking at like, okay, when we're going to start putting a bracket together, we're going to dig into this from Villanova's perspective in just a little bit. Like you want to know who the top four teams are because it's going to impact seeding in the NCAA tournament. Like those top four teams might, you know, who's going to be in the top seed in the East, for example, a team like an Auburn, could be a team that gets to the top seed line and ends up in the East bracket. Why does that matter? We are playing, uh, sorry, the Eastern regional this year is in Philadelphia. It's at the Wells Fargo center. We have limited the number of Wells Fargo center games this year uh, to three. That's the maximum you can play in an arena at a, as a home team um, to be allowed to play in that arena in the NCAA tournament. So we've limited that. Today was one of those games. We got two more coming up versus Seton Hall and UConn. Um, but that's the maximum number of games you could play. That's the Eastern Regional site, not the pod site. There was some confusion on Twitter about that. It's the regional site. The last time the Philadelphia hosted the Eastern Regional was 2016. Now, obviously, we won the championship that year. But if you remember, there was a lot of controversy that went around because mm. Villanova was like the fifth one seed. Everyone was like, oh, Villanova is good enough to make it, whatever. But they left us off. They put us as the two seed. So we were like the, the, the first two seed in that year. We thought, OK, we're going to be in the East with whoever we're going to be in the East with. Well, guess what? Even though the rules allow for it, the tournament committee said it's not fair that Villanova would be the two seed in a region where the one seed has to travel further to get there. So one seed in that region was North Carolina. They flipped us and Xavier that year and sent mm. us to the South, which is why we played in Louisville, which was much closer to Xavier's arena uh, and much close to Xavier's home uh, and flipped us to Louisville and moved Xavier to uh, Philadelphia all is forgiven because we went on and won the championship, but that was a big deal at the time. 60, like that was a big deal that yeah. like all of a sudden Villanova did not get the Eastern regional. What the fuck? We did everything that we were supposed to do. We played three games or less in the Wells Fargo center. We limited that because of that, we didn't get all that revenue, etc. We didn't play that many games there. We followed all the rules and the NCAA tournament basically protected the team that was going to be there. Who are the candidates to be in the Eastern Regional? You have Duke, you have Auburn, and Villanova this year are probably the three best Eastern-based teams that could wind up in the Eastern Regional. Every, anyone, any one seed can wind up. They, they'll move anyone anywhere 
but like the one seed gets preference. And if the one seed is not us, my point is very simple. If it's Duke as the one seed in the Eastern Regional, Villanova is not going to be in the Eastern Region. We're not going to be in Philadelphia. There's no way in Coach K's final swan song season, they're going to put Villanova as the two seed in, right. in Duke's bracket in Philadelphia at their home court. It's not going to happen. You, imagine the, the outcry that will pour out from that. So, so poor Coach K. Yeah, yeah. Oh, poor Coach K. He hasn't won enough. Uh, it's about time something good happens to him. But, but all of this matters kind of like, and as teams are jockeying for position, because yes, the NCAA goes by the net, right? Which is their like computer driven thing. It, it succeeded the RPI. It's much better than the RPI. It's not perfect. Yeah. And it's a little bit cloudy as to how they calculate it, but it's clearly better than what the RPI was. Um, so they go by the net uh, and they go by other like things, eye test, etc. What factors in though, is that like people say, oh, it doesn't matter, but it matters is media and like all of that, um, all that like kind of like flow leading up to the tournament. Like they're not going to just pick the top four in the net. If the top, if one of the top four is like a team that's ranked number 20, yeah. uh, like it doesn't happen. So, so you have to have like that kind of like, Oh, wide based understanding that this is one of the top four teams in the country to get that top four seed. So the, as many people who say, Oh, the AP poll doesn't matter. It matters. guys. Yeah. It absolutely matters. Like, yes. Is it possible that you lose a game late and the rank that, you know, the rankers drop you down a peg as a result of that. And you slip to eight, but you still wind up in the one line. Absolutely. That's possible. It just doesn't happen that often that it plays out like that. So all of that being said, it's like critical at this stage of the game, kind of where we sit in the rankings. Um, so, so there's a bunch of teams to kind of go over here, but I'll, I'll just try and keep it quick um, after the top five. Uh, so, so you have Arizona, Purdue, and Duke, who look to be the teams that are going to replace Baylor, um, UCLA, and, and, um, and USC in the top five. They look like the teams that are primed to jump into that. Um, Purdue took some lumps earlier on in the Big Ten, but they seem to be getting right. Uh, Duke had a good week after losing to Miami. Um, Arizona has been really good. Arizona is one of the only one-loss teams left in the country. Them, Auburn, and Colorado State are the only one-loss teams left in the country. Ah, uh, yes, Colorado State. So Arizona is off to an excellent, excellent start on their year. So I, I mean, Arizona definitely a team that could that could wind up on that one line as well. Um, they really have not beaten anybody though. I think they, did they get UConn? Did they beat UConn in in their turkey tournament? I want to say that they – do I have that wrong? No, they didn't because they, they, they had a lot of their good games canceled or postponed. UCLA postponed, USC postponed. Uh, okay. They, they, right. haven't, they haven't beaten anybody. All right, so Arizona's got – you know They've got work to do. They got some work to do. I agree. Fine. Um, but then you have Kansas um, who looks – who looked really good. Um, they, they, clung, they hung on against Iowa state at Allen Fieldhouse, which is not great, but Iowa state was ranked 15. So that's a top 15 game. This bill, this bill self guys, a good coach. Yeah. And, but then they walloped a pretty good West Virginia team um, at, yeah, at home. They beat them by like 28 or something like that in, in Lawrence this week. So with Baylor losing two in a row, it looks like the big 12 is going to run through Lawrence and the big 12 is so good that whoever wins the big 12, is going to get a one seed in the NCAAs. Yeah. Um, 
On the other hand, Michigan State has fallen off the wagon. Michigan State started um, with a couple losses, then started to you know build a, a good resume and feasted on really bad teams. And then they've now uh, they now just lost uh, to Northwestern at home, which is really terrible. So who, who's going to wind up in the top 10 after this, after this week? Uh, we, we've had a lot of topsy-turvy. A lot of people are saying, oh, Villanova's got to wind up in the top 10, right? Like they beat Xavier and then they crush Butler. I, I'm not so fast. I think Villanova's going to wind up at around 11. Houston, who has lost some players, but has still won, uh, was number uh, 11. I think they're going to jump to number 10, if I had to guess. Wisconsin has had a good week. They beat Ohio State. Uh, I think Wisconsin was a, was a step ahead of us. I think they were number 13 going into this week. I think Wisconsin jumps Houston because I, that injury that I just talked about, but we don't, I think it's going to wind up that like Wisconsin's at nine um, Houston's at 10 Villanova's at 11. Um, and then I think Kentucky who absolutely obliterated Tennessee, obliterated Tennessee, put up one Oh seven on them um, at Rupp yesterday. I think Kentucky jumps into the top, uh, top 12. So you're starting to look at that top 12 um, of the, of the, of, on the year and say, okay, who, who is that going to be? I think you're starting to see that take shape. The other teams to look out for that could come up from behind um, is Illinois is the one team that I really like. They're number 25. They lost a lot of games early in the season, but they didn't have Kofi Coburn, who is one of the best players on, in the country. Um, and now they're, now they're off to an undefeated start in a very loaded Big Ten. If Illinois continues their winning ways and goes on to win the Big Ten, they're going to wind up on the one line. So uh, Illinois has got a chance because the, the committee will discount losses from injured players if you've, or injured or out players if you've convinced them that you're good right. with them. So, so Illinois is a team that can kind of come out of nowhere, wind up one, two, three line. Um, they were projected to be very good to start the year and got off to a rocky start yeah. without Coburn. All right. Moving on, that's kind yeah. of like a whole setup to kind of say, okay, where do we stand now with this bracketology thing? How do we, how do we, how do we figure eight weeks from now, what's the bracket going to look like? Where, what's Villanova's ceiling? What could Villanova fall to, et cetera? Look, we're not going to project an implosion. We're also not going to project Villanova goes undefeated. Um, if Villanova does go undefeated, we will be a one seed. I, I could, yeah. I'll, I'll but, stamp that. But that, that won't happen. But yeah, yes, that's not going to happen. But like, you know, could even with some losses, Villanova wind up on the one line? I think the answer to the question is yes. Um, but but it's going to be tough. And those losses have to be like good losses. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't bank on it. I think we're talking about a far-fetched scenario. I, I don't. I, yes and no. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Most years when you're going through and, and Villanova's going through this Big East schedule, et cetera, like the Big East is not good enough to validate that, that losses in the conference are validatable. Like, oh, okay, yeah, it's fine. You lost at UConn. Like, uh, you, you know, whatever. Like, it, we haven't had that in the past. We, we don't have a good win. I think it boils down to that. If you pick up more losses in the Big East, what, what's the win you're pointing to? You know, like one seeds have good wins. We yeah, don't have, we have, we've got some nice, we've got some okay wins. Rob, we're one of four teams. We're one of a handful of teams in the country that have four quad one wins. Yeah, th that's fine. Like the committee, right. at, the committee at the end of the day is going to say, look, who have these guys beaten a top five or top 10 team? Nope. We yeah. haven't, and we're not. We, we won't have that opportunity. Either. Yeah, I, I get your point. I, I just think. I just think. Look, if you, the committee's going to look at it and say, okay, quad one wins. We're four and four in quad one right now. 
Um, we've won at Xavier. We won neutral versus Tennessee. We won at Seton Hall. Um, and we have opportunities to pick up wins at Providence or versus Providence versus UConn, um, et cetera. That's what I'm talking about. The Big East has ample opportunities. So, so yeah, you lose a game here or there to Providence or UConn going down the stretch, but you pick up a win versus those teams too. Like it's like, it's not, this is, far this is totally, this is totally falling flat for me. There's just, I, there's no, there's no quality win to point to a, a, a win against 16 against 17. That does nothing for me. At the end uh, of the we're talking, we're talking about a one, we're talking about a one seed. We're talking about a one seed, not like, Oh, there's not a lot of nice quad one wins. Who cares? Do you have a top 10 win? No, you don't have a top 10 win. And you picked up some losses against some crap teams. Forget it. Done. Rob, moving on, moving on. No, not moving on. Not, mo- not moving on. You can't just say moving on. It's not, it's just, it's not, it's not the rules. What does committee look at? Think, go back to like bracket, like principles, right? They look at the net, which is we're number six in the net right now. They look at, they look at the strength of schedule. We are top three to five in strength of schedule per Ken Palm. We're number two in strength of schedule right now. Um, as I said, we are, uh, we, we have, we're four and four in quad one. Our, our quad one losses come three at away and one on a neutral court, all versus teams that are projected towards the one, two and three line. Yes. They're lost opportunities, but guess what? These teams are going to lose. These teams are going to, these teams some, are lose. Purdue I is somebody, in the big 10. I want somebody to look up and see the last time a one, there was a one seed that did not have one top 10 win the entire year. I bet it hasn't happened in the past 10 years. Uh, we, we didn't do that. You didn't we did, do that. We didn't. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. <laughs> I didn't do the check. I'm, I'm a cert, I'm, I'm betting that's what it is. And that's, that to me is why this is falling flat. So here's the deal. Rob, to your point, if we've already done enough damage to our resume that we're not going to be on the one line, barring winning out, then then we are, then, then we will not be in Philadelphia bracket, right? Like that's kind of like, that's like the, the, the point here to take away. The, the big takeaway is that like, if you want that Philadelphia bracket, Villanova has to play like lights out for the rest of the season. Like probably can't take more than two losses. Yeah. Um, there have been seven lost teams who have been one seeds. That's happened before. Like that could happen, but like it's, it's that's, a, that's a tough hill to climb. We have the resume, the strength of schedule, et cetera, to back it up, but there's got to be a lot of wins. We got to win a lot of numerical wins, like just got to load them up. Um, to your point, Rob, it's unlikely. I think the more likely right now, if you look around the bracketology and what I look at, I look at Lunardi, I look at, um, I look at Jerry Palm, who I think is a step better than Lunardi. The one thing about Lunardi that's good is that he kind of updates his bracket like every day. Um, so that, that like makes it like nice to follow because you could kind of see an ebb and flow along the lines of the season. Whereas like, I'm looking at Jerry Palm right now, I've got a crazy week in college basketball. He hasn't updated it since like Thursday. Um, Mike, of course, same thing. He's the guy who does it for Fox. The one other site that I point out is bracket matrix, um, uh, is, is really cool. They basically take all the bracketologists and put them together. And it's like a wisdom of crowds thing. So where does that leave us right now is Villanova is currently the top on bracket matrix. Villanova is currently the top team on the three line. Um, so considered to be like the ninth best um, resume in college basketball, trailing um, Kansas, Purdue, Duke, Arizona, Gonzaga, Auburn, and Baylor. 
to Rob's point, Arizona has a lot of numerical wins, maybe needs a little bit of bolster to their actual quality of victories. Um, but there are, um, there are a lot of, there, there's still a lot of basketball to be played. Uh, big 12 has, is big 12 teams are going to lose a lot of games. Um, big 10 teams are going to lose a lot of games and sec teams are going to lose games. So there's definitely going to be, this is not going to be like a season where other than Gonzaga, you're going to have teams that have like three losses coming into, uh, coming into bracket time. This is going to be a season where you have five, six lost teams getting one seeds, um, as they go into March. Yeah. It's going to be tough just looking at those teams, considering we've, we've lost a few of them already. So. We'll Absolutely. See. But we don't have a loss to like a Rutgers. Yes, it's true. So, so like, you know, who have you beat? Who have you lost to? It's a yeah. little bit of a juggling. So, so, so we're on a three right now. Where do you think we ultimately end up? I think the most likely scenario, and this is build, building in some renewed expectations is I think a two, I think we actually end up on the two line. I think there's enough chaos in the other conferences that some teams fall back that are currently ahead of us. Um, but I don't think that we get to the one line. Um, I think Duke ends up as the one seed in the East. And the reason why I think that they have that win against Gonzaga, which is big. Um, the other thing that, that, that Duke has is, um, coach case last season, um, which should you say, but also the ACC is bad. The ACC is really, really bad. It's, it's like good. very yeah. uncannily bad. Like the ACC is like a distant fifth or sixth in terms of best conferences yeah. in the country right now. Like the best conferences is like the big 12 is kind of in a league of its own. And you have the big 10 big East and sec are all kind of jumbled in after that. Yeah. Um, so I think Duke's going to clean up in the, in the ACC as the season progresses and just not have a lot of losses and end up on the one line. Yeah. So that's kind of how I see them. That's kind of how I see that playing out. And as a result of that, what I say before, if Duke is the number one in the East, Villanova will not be in the Eastern regional. That's how yeah. I think it's going to play out. What do you think? Uh, obviously based on my uh, assertions just now, do not think we'll end up on the one line. The two would be nice. Um, I think we'll probably pick up, a couple losses along the way that unfortunately I don't think will be like great losses. So I'm guessing here, I think we'll probably end up right about where we are right now, which is probably the top three seed, um, which isn't a, a terrible spot to be, as you said, like if we're not in the East kind of, what does it matter almost? So, um, so we'll see. Yeah. So I'd say if I'm guessing, I'd say three seed. The good news though, is that the team that's hot is going to win this season. I, I don't think that there is a blow you away team in college basketball. Mm. So if we're three and we're hot, like, that, 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 like, it's funny. Cause like you say, Oh, like you, you look at the team and you're like, Oh man, what happened earlier in the season, et cetera. And you're like, this team can't make a final four. Like I got to readjust my expectations. Yada, yada, yada. I don't know. That's necessarily the case this year because there isn't like that, like Baylor and Gonzaga, like last year that you have to aspire to If you're not on that level, you're not getting there. Right. Like, so like, it's kind of like a weird year in that week. <sighs> I, and this yeah, is I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I'm not I, saying I'm, I'm not saying I'm hundred percent there that this is a final four team. I'm saying this is a team that could end up being a final four team because, because there isn't a great team in college basketball. I, and I go back to, I go back to, we were up, we, 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 we like went to overtime at UCLA. We, we, we were up 10 against Purdue. Like we could have won those games. Like we didn't obviously, 
but we could have won those games. So like Villanova did show that they can hang with teams. So I, I'm still saying that I don't think that there's a runaway favorite to win the championship this year. Yeah, I, I agree. There's not a runaway favorite, but to me, it's a little, it's a little too much flip floppiness in my mind. Like we went from this is a final four team to Holy shit. We got smoked to like, we're back on like, ah, we could, we could feasibly do it if we get hot. I'm like, yeah, sure. If you get lightning hot, you can absolutely win a title. I, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Yeah. I'm not, all I'm saying is, all I'm saying is when you actually put pen to paper on the bracket and who the teams are and what's going on around the national sphere, having done the research, Rob, this is, this <laughs> is, this research, is how Rob, people lose money every March. Yeah. This, I, when I put it I on am, paper, when I put it on paper, they can make a I'm run. Not, Come on. <laughs> Rob, Ridiculous. I did my own research and this is what I think. <laughs> I did my uh, own research. Did your own research. You didn't know, catch the COVID it. joke. Yeah, no, I missed it. I missed it. You didn't it. catch the COVID joke the first time. I didn't lay it out clear enough. Oh, terrible. All right. All right. Anyway. That's kind of the national look around. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of keep that refreshed as each week goes along um, from here on out. Because as I mentioned, we're eight weeks to the bracket. So time to giddy up, guys. Yeah. Um, all right. We have two games coming up this week. Let's do it real, let's do it real quick. It's pretty yeah, slow. real quick. Good news is we can. Because there's only one game to really talk about. Yikes. Uh, we welcome uh, Marquette to the pavilion on Wednesday. And as much as I'd love to talk shit about their coach, their coach is no longer Wojo. Shaka true. Smart is in his first year as the head coach of Marquette. I don't have anything against Shaka Smart. I liked him more when he was bald. I think he looks ridiculous, not bald, but, uh, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and they're off to a nice start. They are. They have gained. They have put themselves on the bubble, um, probably on the right side of the bubble at the moment. And and one thing that John Fanta, every time I've watched him on a call or talking about Marquette, is saying this team has an identity when they did not in the past. So Marquette has an identity. What's that from? Kind of comes from the coach. They have that play that havoc style defense. They're running gun. They play quick. They get you going. Um, they are 38th overall in tempo compared to us, who's 350th in tempo. So there's definitely a clash of style that's going to happen in this game. And one of the keys to the game is can Villanova slow Marquette down and also handle the basketball and not turn the ball over? One overlooked thing as we've gone on this nice run here is that we've kind of been a little bit loose with the basketball at times um, relative to what you'd expect a Colin Gillespie led team to be um, of late. So just something to look out for as we, as we go in and they're playing that havoc speed you up style. Is they're, they're back to running that. Cause it's interesting. Cause like Shaka smart, he was known for that at VCU. Then he went down to Texas, got all these top recruits, like kind of went away from it. Basically. It's not the same. Really, it's yeah. not the same that it was at VCU, okay. but it's, de- but, but there's definitely an identity to it. Yeah. Marquette's an interesting team. It's funny looking at this roster. Um, I'm used to knowing Marquette in and out, just tons of new faces this year. This team is made up of people you broadly will not know. They've got a bunch of transfers, a bunch of freshmen and redshirt freshmen who are leading this team. So their leading scorer is Justin Lewis, um, who is, I believe, a redshirt freshman. And Daryl Morsel, who's a tra- grad transfer from Maryland, um, played four years at Maryland, is a really solid player. Um, those are their top guys. After that, I literally basically didn't know anybody on this team. They had a lot of players transfer out at the end of the season as well, too. One of our favorites, or least favorites, Theo John, 
He's left the program. He's a dookie now. Um, but anyway, a lot of new people there. Don't expect you as a casual fan to really know them, but that's okay. You'll have some time to get to know them over the coming years. But yeah, it's good to have Shaka Smart um, as a coach in the Big East. Um, that Marquette role is always a pretty big one and can be a pretty good jumping off point. It's always been a really interesting spot to see where people go from there in terms of their next step in their career. So we'll see what Chuck Smart makes it. He's a, a Wisconsin guy, as we had talked about before, so he's kind of back home, which is cool. They, they do run a lot of players. So they play – They um, that's another thing, is that, like, not, not a ton of players have established this, like, lead guy identity. Yeah. Um, because they really play a team game. They play, like they, – they have, like, 11 guys who – or 11 guys who average over eight minutes or something like that. Like they, they run a lot. They, so they're going to run a deep bench. They, as I said, they play really fast. They play up tempo. It's going to be a battle of style. That being said, we're at home and Villanova is a far superior team. This is a yeah. team. This is a game that Ken Palm has us beat winning by 12 um, at home. Um, I think how this game plays out, if I had to guess, I think that we're going to get shocked a little bit um, by, by their, by their style. And it's going to take us a little bit of time to settle into our game and kind of force their will um, because we haven't played an up-tempo team in a few weeks, um, like a truly up-tempo team. I don't mean like, you know, Xavier plays a bit up-tempo, like um, or we haven't played at someone who's more up-tempo since really Baylor um, who's really up-tempo. Um, so, so with that, I think what you're going to see is us get a little bit like take a punch on the chin early on. And then I think we recover. And I think what ends up happening is we end up winning by like nine. I have us actually not beating the Ken Palm spread on this game, um, even though we're at home. Uh, so I, I, I have us winning by nine. I think the game will be played a little bit quicker. Um, so don't, I would expect to see more points on the board for them and us. Um, I think this is going to be like a 79, 70 game. Yeah, I like it. I think we, you know, we, I think we'll struggle to adjust a little bit at the outset. It'll be close. We'll break it up. And though this Marquette team has been re- really up and down through the season. They don't have a lot of noteworthy wins that they can point to. So I think we'll get this one done without. They did beat Coburn. Illinois, but again, we talked about it. They hadn't without they didn't have Coffee, Coburn. Kofi, yeah. Yeah. And then the other game this week is Georgetown. Here's what you need to know about Georgetown. They're bad. They're terrible. They're, <laughs> they're really, really bad. They're really, really, really bad. They're um, six and they're six and eight. They're absolutely abysmal. They're, or eight uh, and six. Sorry. I don't know, yeah. whatever it's one. They're it's doesn't it's, really matter. It's at Georgetown. But it's gonna be there's gonna be nobody there. There was like 10 fans in the stands versus when they played Butler. It's yeah. an absolute joke. Uh look, there, there's Rob, to your point. We lose versus Georgetown. We don't even deserve a three seed. Like, like it's that it's that level bad. They're that bad. It's uh, it's not good. I always feel bad going on casual Hoya and kind of reading the comments there. It's like, man, the fans it's are like just so depressed. Wasteland. Yeah, it's, um, it's really bad. Yeah, it's almost reached like sicko territory where they're like, how bad can this get? Yeah, like, I think I think I think Patrick's done at the end of the year. It's it's going to be hard to recover from this. I yeah. mean, he wins the Big East tournament last year, and then and then just loses everybody. I just don't. I, how do you not hold the team together after you win a championship? I don't get I it. Don't, I don't get it either. Um, look, I, I mean, Georgetown. I, I, this game could be a thirty point game at Georgetown. Like it, it's yeah, it should it should be absolutely. Ken Palm has us as fourteen point favorites. I, uh, to me, that's kind of like. There's that's just an, like limitations. Yeah. It's algorithm limitations. Is kind yeah. of how I, how I view that. It's like, a big, big Trey Patterson game, really. 
Like really, it really should be. There you go, Brian. One for the yeah. road. Messed up, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, God. That's it for the podcast. So big bracketology breakdown. We're going to stay on top of that as we go through the season, see where Villanova falls. Rob, very skeptical of our one-seat outlook. Me, a little bit less skeptical, but still uh, not terribly optimistic about a one-seat. But still Chris, being- Chris, blow with the winds, Bilotti is what I'm going to call right. you. That's right. That's right. That's a horrible nickname. Um, <laughs> but that's all we got today. So uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And as always, let's go Nova.